0: Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. So, we're in this series, Triggered, and this is the second week actually of the series. We had a little bit of a break last week because we had Steve and Trina Pennington, missionaries to, uh, to Africa, with us. But we're in this series, Triggered, and today um, I want to talk about, you know, there's a word that I think we've all become very, very familiar with. It's the word contagious, right? Like you say contagious and immediately probably the, in fact, there was one of, the, one of our background images up here, it looked like it was that, that spiky coronavirus cell back there, you know? Like you say contagious and you think COVID-19. And so, consequently, we've taken all kinds of precautions. We wear masks, we social distance, you know. That's what's happening. You have to do that because it's contagious. Well, during this season that we've been living in, of whether it's a pandemic, whether it's, uh, you know, racial tensions, whether it's economic difficulties, during this season we've been living in, there's another virus that has been actually creeping up. And it's creeping into our homes It's creeping into our marriages. It's creeping into our friendships. The virus I'm talking about is the virus of anger. How many of you know that this has been an angry season in many, many ways? And it's contagious, and I mean, it's affecting, it's affecting so many people. So many people these days are triggered because of anger. Trigger to anger. Now you might not say you're angry, but you might say something like you're tired, you're discouraged, you're frustrated. I mean, you might be feeling that right now and it's kind of manifesting a little bit as anger. I mean, just, anger's contagious. I mean, it just takes one, you know, you see this, it just takes one person to be angry to get a bunch of other people around you to be angry. And so if you're sitting here right now in Corville, or if you're watching in Cedar Rapids right now, don't look around. Don't make eye contact, but it's, chances are there's somebody near you that's carrying a virus, the virus of anger. And if you don't believe anger is contagious, go to one of our news outlets, web, the websites of our news outlets, like CNN or Fox or whatever, and then start reading the comments section. Like, the comment section is where all the angry people live. Seriously. Seriously. Just read the comment section. And, and, and don't stay there long, because I know, for me, if I, st- if I start reading the comment section and on these news feeds, you know, I start reading the comment section, I mean, within three minutes, there's some emotion starting to rise up inside of me. Like, somebody just said something really, really stupid there. And I got I to gotta correct that. And I'm having an, ar- an imaginary argument with somebody I don't even know. Because I'm reading this comment section. And then I close my computer and I leave and I just slam the door. And Christy's like, what's wrong? I don't, I don't know, I'm angry. <laughs> anger is contagious. Now, we've talked about this before. Anger is usually described as a secondary emotion. So you can think of anger kind of like the, the lights on your dashboard in a car, right? So once that light starts flashing, um, the issue is not the light, that's not the, the issue is what's, what's, what triggered the light, it's something that's underneath the hood that needs to be dealt with, right? Now, you might say, well, let me just deal with this by getting some black electrical tape and putting it over the light, but it really doesn't deal with it, because there is an issue, and it's under the hood, and so if you want to deal with the issue, the, the flashing light that you're seeing, you need to actually look under the hood, you have to address what's under the hood. That's how you get untriggered. It's not by focusing on the lights, by focusing on what's underneath. And so maybe that's true for some of you. Like you feel angry, but under the hood is fear. There's a lot of fear going on these days. Like maybe you've, you're, you're afraid because you feel like, you know, you're not sure if you're gonna financially overcome the past couple of years. Or maybe you're you know, a restaurant owner and man, this has been bad for the last couple of years and you might feel you're, you're angry, you're, you're afraid because you might feel like, like all this work that went into starting this small, this, this small business or this restaurant was for nothing. And so you're feeling afraid, but you know, saying you're afraid is kind of weakness. So you don't say you're afraid, instead you just get angry at the situation. That might be what's under the hood. Maybe underneath the hood is regret and shame. Like you look at your life and there's some things that you regret. Some actions that you took that you wish you could undo. Some shame that you're carrying around and all these regrets, all this shame comes out as anger. And instead of actually dealing with the issue underneath the hood, you start blaming others for what's going on in your life. Or maybe under the hood is just fatigue and frustration. I mean, I don't want, I don't want you to raise your hands or anything, but like if, you just, if I just think about the last couple of years, all the work that has gone into the last couple of years, I just feel tired. It just makes me feel worn out. And maybe that's how some of you feel. You're just tired and worn out, and it's try, it's kind of like converting itself into this sense of Anger. You get up in the morning and you're once again gonna have to face all of this stuff that you're hearing in the news, and you just—it's just like surfacing. I had a conversation with somebody this week that they were saying to me that they actually, when they go to work, they take a completely. Like in the same office building, they, they don't go directly to their office. They take a completely different route because there's this person that they know that they've had these very difficult conversations with and arguments about, you know, politics and all that stuff. They just don't want to say it, and that, that person makes them angry. And a lot of that's happening these days. And so the next few minutes, I just want to talk about anger sort of in the context of relationships. We're gonna look at the book of James to talk about this. Now, James is, the book of James is towards the end of the New Testament. James is the half brother of Jesus. How would you like to have Jesus as your older brother? That sounds like a cool idea. But then it would always be like, Jesus this, and Jesus that, and Jesus this, and Jesus that, and Jesus the son of God, and Jesus does miracles, and he does, and you know, you would just sort of like live in his shadow, right? So you wouldn't really, it's not really an exciting idea to think of Jesus as your older brother, and that's sort of the situation here. And so, you know, James is probably not buying it. James is like, I'm not sure about About this Jesus guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he did a miracle, one or two, you know, and stuff. And he always beats me when we play war and stuff. But (sighs) Jesus. But then Jesus is crucified, and he's buried. And then three days later, he comes back to life again. And then Jesus walks out of the tomb, looks at James, says, I told you, bro. <laughs> I told you. No, <laughs> he didn't say that. But, but it convinced James. James is convinced that he truly is the son of God. And so now James is, is just committed to telling people about Jesus. So, and so the book of James was written to some Jesus followers that were experiencing some incredible pressures, you know, they, especially in that society that they were living in. Many of them had lost their jobs, they'd lost their homes, you know, they were separated from their families, they were facing this uncertain future. There's a lot of emotions flying out, a lot of frustration, a lot of fear, a lot of disappointment, a lot of anxiety. And so what does James talk about in an environment like this? He starts off by talking about anger. But listen, when he, listen to how he kicks it off in verse 19. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. I'm going to stop there with my dear brothers and sisters because James is doing something very, very amazing and, and, help, and tries to help us get context Okay, because so easy sometimes it's for us to have, to think of ideas, themes in the Bible as in isolation, like God talks about fear, and he talks about holiness, and and we see it all in isolation, but you have to understand it's always, 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 always in the context of relationship, and so James is going to talk to him about anger, but he kicks it off by saying, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, Like, I get it. You might be having some issues. You might be facing some trouble. You might be facing some difficulties, but remember, she is your sister. Remember, he is your brother. So you might be right. You might have issues and you might be right, but your relationship supersedes you being right. He's your brother, he's your sister. We need to hear that, guys. We especially now need to hear that. I've never been in my entire life as as a follower of Christ, I've never been in a season where more brothers and sisters are polarized against each other like I've been in the last couple of years. I've never seen that before. And so James speaks to us and he says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. He goes on. Verse, the second part of verse 19 says, You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. It almost sounds like Dr. Phil's talking to us, right? <laughs> quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Now you have to understand something. This is not a suggestion. James is giving a command here. It's not a suggestion. It's not like a best practice of Dr. Phil. This is a command. Now, I can get it. I can get into the command if there were qualifiers, right? But there's no qualifiers here, right? Hey, you have to be quick to listen, so to speak, so to become angry, unless that person you're talking to is not making a reasonable argument. <laughs> unless that person is from the other political party. Unless they're just incredibly annoying, you can then, it's okay to speak, say, get angry and say things, right? But there's no qualifiers here. You must be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to become angry, he says. Because, here's the thing, look what it says in verse 20. Because human anger, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Human anger doesn't give you the kind of life God wants you to have. Human anger doesn't give you the kind of relationship you want to have with your children. Human anger doesn't give you the kind of marriage you want to have with your wife or your husband. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God wants for us to have. And so as we talk about anger, I know that there's some of you here, you're like, okay, Rich, yeah, I don't know what human anger is, but like, that's not me. Like, I don't, I don't cuss and I don't scream and I don't yell and I don't throw things across the room. I don't do any of that. You know, like I don't do that stuff. So you're not talking to me. I don't know who you're talking, but you're not talking to me. Right. But maybe you don't do all those things, but maybe you do it in a different way. Like maybe you're manipulative. You're not an extroverted anger person, but you're a manipulative person. You kind of express your anger by, by making yourself the victim, right? Like, like you've experienced something in a relationship and now all you could talk about is how you are the victim. And that whoever you're relating to needs to recognize that you're the victim. They need to see that you're the victim. Everybody needs to feel sorry for you. You're the victim. Or some of you express anger by getting sarcastic. You know, you make critical comments, you use sarcasm. And you can say some hurtful things and then kind of hide cowardly behind, hey, I was just joking. Don't be so sensitive. Or maybe you become more passive-aggressive in your anger like you withhold attention. You withhold attention, you withhold affection until you get what you want. You're just holding it back. You don't give, and somebody comes along and says, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine, I'm fine. But you're really not. Because you're basically, you're manipulating the relationship by being passive aggressive. And so yeah, maybe you don't have a short fuse, maybe you don't blow up, maybe you don't throw things, but... But the way you do it is a lot more, you're like more like a silent assassin. You don't make a lot of noise, but man, the people that have crossed you, they're piling up. So James says, human anger does not, does not produce the righteousness God desires. So think about what tends to drive, drive anger. What makes us angry typically? Typically what makes us angry is because we feel like we're right. Like we hear something, we hear somebody contradicting what we're thinking, what we're believing, and we feel we're right and you need to know that I'm right. And I need to make sure that everybody understands that I'm right. And so I think in verse 20, as he's saying this, does not produce the righteousness God desires. What, what, what James is trying to tell us is that we need to make a choice. We have to decide whether we're going to be right or whether we're going to be righteous. And so you ask yourself the question, when things start to surface, when you start getting into discussion with your wife, and I used to call those with my wife animated discussions because they get a little animated, right? We're both firstborns. We both have to have our way. We're both, you know, like in charge. And when I met my wife, this is a total side. So when I met my wife, I'm not kidding you. She was 24 years old. She had like, four piercings in one year, three piercings in another year. She had short hair. She was driving a, a Jeep CJ7 lifted, chromed out package on her way to Bible college. <laughs> she was in charge. And so we had these animated discussions and every once in a while we had these and, so, and it's in the middle of that, I have to make a decision. Am I going to be right or am I going to be righteous? That's what James is really asking us here. And James wants to help us understand how, how we can grow in that, how we can become more like God, more, to have more of the righteousness of God. In verse 21, here's a few things that we need to do. First, he says, you need to get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. Wow, that's pretty direct. <laughs> get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. Now, you have to remember, this is James talking in the context of relationships. He's talking in the context of speech. In the context of anger, how we talk to one another, he says, you need to get rid of this, right? And he uses this repentance language. Like, get rid of, that's repentance language. Like, the idea is, there's images. You know, Bible has, uses language that oftentimes, ha- is, there's pictures behind this language. And the image is that you're wearing dirty clothes. And you walk into a room, and it, sm- and it smells, and it stinks. And you walk in the room, and you're smelling up the room. Well, you need to get rid of those clothes. You need to discard them. But here's what I get. I I understand that, that maybe your mom gave you those clothes. That's why you kind of act that way. Or maybe your dad gave you those clothes. Or maybe you've always worn those clothes. I mean, you've always raised your voice when you're angry. You've always said those things. And the idea here that James is trying to communicate is, listen, this is not only just an offense. Because his repentance language is not only just an offense to another person. It's actually an offense to God. It's a sin against God. And then he brings it around in verse 21. He says, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has power to save your souls. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. I think this is the key. This This is the phrase that unlocks this anger issue that we have is to humbly accept. So much of our anger is rooted in pride. So much of our anger is about, I'm right. I've got to prove that I'm right. It's just rooted in pride. It's rooted in selfishness. And James is saying, listen, if you want to have this blessing from God, if you want to experience God's power, to save you, if you want to experience God's, you know, God's power to have this abundant life in your life, you need to, instead of demanding your word, you need to humbly accept God's way. That's what you need to do. And sometimes we think that demanding our way is God's way, but that's not really God's way. He's telling us very clearly, human anger does not produce the righteousness that we want from God, that God wants from us. And so instead of demanding my way, I then choose instead to humbly accept God's way. And this has power to save your souls. And it has power to save your relationship with your son, who you haven't talked to in years. It has power to save your marriage that's falling apart as you humbly accept, humbly accept, humbly accept. It goes on, verse 22, he says, <clears throat> But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Now he's like, don't just hear these words and, about anger and then like in a moment, think about it, but then you forget about it and just do on. He says, don't do that, he says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. You're just feeling Then James goes on to say, for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. <clears throat> you see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. <laughs> But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you look carefully into God's word and God's standards, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, in other words, you put it into practice, not just, not just listen, but do it, right? Then God will bless you for doing it. And he uses this word picture of a mirror. So, part of humbly accepting God's word is that you're going to look into the mirror and you're going to be honest with yourself. That's really hard for us, isn't it? It's, uh, it's hard for us to look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves about ourselves. Like we always, we always say, nah, I'm about 20 pounds lighter. Nah, I don't look, that's nah, not mean? You know? I remember when I was, uh, a few years ago, I was right down the street here at Sports Clips. I was getting a haircut. And um, there was a young lady, nice young lady. She was cutting my hair. <clears throat> you know how you sit in the, in, a bar, in, the, you know, in the salon, you sit in a chair and you're looking in a mirror and they're standing behind you and they're cutting your hair. And, you know, and it was just about when they were about to start. you know. And so she's standing behind me. And I noticed that she was doing this kind of weird stare. Like she was looking in the mirror at me, the sort of reflection of me in the mirror. She's looking in the mirror, she's just kind of like, Looking like that? And I'm like, I got kind of a little bit self-conscious. Like, what, what are you looking at? You know, is there a smudge on the mirror or something? What are you looking at? You know, I didn't say that, but I was like, uh, what are you looking at? She goes, she goes, have you ever broken your nose? And I'm like, well, I didn't break it, but it was broken for me <laughs> when I was a teenager, like 30 something years ago, right? And uh, and she goes, oh, that's why. I'm like, What? <laughs> That's why what? What are you you trying to say? You know? And basically she was alluding to my nose being crooked. And now I'm 40 something years old at this point. I'm like, I've never seen my crooked nose. I've never seen it. It's not crooked. So I go look and sure enough, it's crooked. And now all I ever see is a crooked nose. In fact, the camera can zoom in if you want to see how crooked it is, right? Every time I look in a mirror, I'm like, now I don't see Rich Green. I see Owen, what's his name, Owen Wilson? Is that the guy that has a fun, funky looking nose? That's who I see. I wish I had Owen Wilson's money, then I could be okay with my crooked nose, but I don't, you know? So I called my mom. Like, you know, my mom calls me if you. Days later or something, we're talking. And I say, can you believe what this lady told me in, in, the, in, in the salon here? She told me that my nose was crooked. And my mom starts laughing. Just, you, you have to know my mom. She has this burst out laughing. Just big laugh. She starts laughing she goes, I can't believe it took you this long to notice. <laughs> I mean, you do too? Everybody knows. I didn't even know. Right? I think sometimes we look in the mirror and we don't notice things. We don't see things about ourselves. And especially when it comes to anger, we don't notice it, we don't see it, we don't realize. that people around you do, they see it. And you might say, well, they never tell me. Well, yes, of course they never tell you because when they tell you, you get angry. So why tell you? They don't want to fight with you. So James says, look, If all you do is listen to this message and you take a few notes, you sit here and nod your head, and then you leave this place and you go home, and then words start flying, cussing goes on, and you're throwing things across the room, James says, you're fooling yourself. You're pretending. You're fooling yourself. See, James knows that once you get angry, you kind of lose the ability to to think rationally about what you say and do. <clears throat> and so with this in mind, with the fact that, that we oftentimes don't recognize when we get angry or that we're angry, that it oftentimes has to be brought to our attention. Hey, why are you so angry? Oh, oh, I'm not angry. Have you ever heard that? Why are you so angry? I'm not angry. We've all been yelling for the last five minutes, but I'm not angry, right? So when this happens, we need something to arrest the anger. We need something to stop the anger. And so when you start feeling this, here's, a, here's a, an image I want you to imagine, a stop sign. Like if, this can, if you can ask the Holy Spirit to help you, that when the stuff starts surfacing in, inside of you, the, starts bubbling up inside of you, that what you see is a stop sign. And it's telling you, stop. There's a lot of scripture for this, actually. Paul says that we need to take captive every thought the idea of taking captive is wrestling it to the ground, bringing it to a stop. So stop. Stop yourself. Ask yourself questions and say, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to make sure that I am living the life, the righteous life that God desires for me? There's different, level, you know, different stages of anger. If you kind of look it up, you'll find that there's from three to 12 different stages of anger. There's somebody I've read that has four and so what they talk about in f- terms of stages of anger, they talk about the first st- stage being mild irritation, okay? So you got mild irritation. This is, this is like where most of us live, in mild irritation. Like this is, you know, the kids yelling all day long. Oh, irritated. This is, you know, you wake up in the morning, you realize your charger broke and your phone's dead, you know? Or, or you consistently get in the wrong line at, at the Walmart when you're trying to shop grocery shop. You know, th- this is mild irritation, Okay? This is happening in your head. You're not talking about it. You're not saying it. It's just in your head, right? Then the next stage would be provoked frustration. Provoked frustration. This is now when kind of, it's a deeper level of it. So if mild irritation, mild irritation would be like a car. You're driving, you know, and a car just jumps out in front of you. You almost get in an accident. Whoa, but the guy keeps driving, right? Provoked frustration is that car that it 's not a car it 's a big four wheel drive truck, and he jumps in front of you and he 's got you know some dude kind of license plate and he flips you off on the way on, as you do it then that 's a little bit more provoked you 're you're, you're now thinking more intently about that vehicle that just jumped in front of you right now both of these stages are in what would be called thinking thought stages right that 's all they are you 're not expressing yourself you 're not doing anything you're not saying but the next stage would be personal indignation. This is where it begins to, to irritate you. Like, you. like you've read a post, and man, you feel like you're being attacked in that post. And now you're moving into what's called the speech stage. So you're, 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 you've been personally offended, and now you're going to tell people about it. And so maybe you respond to the post or maybe you, or maybe you, uh, you know, you call your sister up and you say, can you believe this? And then you just talk about it and talk about it. And then the next stage then would be uncontrolled rage. And this is where the action takes place, right? This is when you start doing things and saying things that you ordinarily would never say, but you've gotten to this place. So here's the deal about anger. This naturally happens. This process naturally happens. Our problems. is we say to ourselves, I'm okay, I'm fine, I can control it. And then it just gets out of hand. And so what our challenge is, our challenge is that while we're in these two stages appear mild irritation, provoke frustration, which is natural. Like you can't stop the kids from screaming. You know, you can't control the fact that you, you just have bad judgment when it comes to Walmart lines and stuff. You know, so so... That, that just happens, you know, you're, you're in this age when you're just thinking about it. In your thinking, pull up that stop sign and stop your thinking and then ask yourself some questions. What does it look like to live the kind of life, the kind of righteous life that God desires? And so James says we need to be slow to anger. We also need to be, he also says that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So I would say another thing besides stopping Another thing would be to stop talking. <laughs> okay, I know that nobody else struggles with this one, but I know I do. Like I sh- like when things are escalating, I'm just talking and I keep talking and I should just stop talking, right? Because if I'm talking, here's what here's what James knows. If I'm talking, I'm not actually listening. So you need to be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry, right? And the idea here of listen is this, listening is not this passive act, but it's just this, it's this chasing something down. It's the difference between hearing something and listening to something. Now my wife, and I know I'm probably the only guy in this room that has this problem. All of you other guys, you're awesome. You listen well. But my wife doesn't think I listen well. Like she'll say things and I'll hear it. And I might even be able to repeat it back to her, but she'll always say, okay, I think you hear me, but I don't think you're really listening to me. And it's true, because oftentimes what happens is when I'm hearing something, I'm already formulating an answer or response. And so if you're already thinking about what you're gonna say next, you're really not listening. That's just, that's just, the, that's just the nature of our brain. And so James would encourage us to listen. I think one of the ways that we can be slow to speak and slow to become angry and listen well is to, is to ask questions. I've, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm talking about a realm right now. I have to be honest, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I'm just, it's true. I'm not good at it. Um, if my wife was here, in fact, my wife should be up here preaching this section because she's actually really good at it. I'm not. I'm, I, I talk too much. I don't listen well. And it's because I guess I'm a pastor and I get up here and I have, always have answers and I don't really have questions, you know. But really, we should ask questions. Ask good questions. So we begin to feel anger rising up inside of you instead, which you should just stop and just ask a question, you know. How does that, how does that make you feel? It's interesting that when you start asking questions, here's what happens. It disarms the other person. Right, I would encourage you to try this. Like even today, when you start feeling the frustration surfacing, rising inside of you, and you're maybe there's a little bit of an animated discussion going on, to stop and just ask some good questions. If a teenager that's feeling you know, you know, you know cheated or whatever, they feel like you're not you know you're you're not uh, listening to them well, or you, or you, you, your rules are too strict. You, you want to really blow their mind? Instead of just telling them, this is my rule, do it, just say, hey, how do these rules make you feel? They'll stop in their tracks like, uh, what? Actually, if you really want to mess with the system, teenagers, when your parents are angry about you staying out too late at night, ask your parents questions about how they feel about you staying out too late at night. That'll really blow, blow their minds, right? Ask good questions. And so James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Stop and listen, then stop and look, right? Look at yourself in the mirror. Take an honest assessment. Let's all stand. <clears throat> I think one of the ways that we can take an honest assessment is when we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. I mean, when we do that, it can lead to repentance. It tells us in the Bible that his kindness Leads to repentance, right? That when we deserved anger, like you and I, we deserved to be on the receiving end of God's anger, every one of us, because of our sin. But we didn't get anger, did we? We got grace. We deserved punishment, and instead we got salvation and restoration, right? And so when we receive that, when we understand, when we, when we get a mental image of the fact that Jesus has paid the price for us, that when I was, I was not deserving of it, but yet he poured grace into my life, when I understand that, it allows me to extend grace to my wife, my children, my, my coworkers, the people I'm in relationship with, just having this image of what Jesus did on the cross. You see, when Jesus died, he had every right to be angry. I mean, Jesus, was, Jesus wasn't just right, he was perfect. And yet, he was crucified. The Bible says that he was silent before his accusers. And when he was on the cross, he didn't say, man, wait till my father does something about this. It's not what he did. Instead, Jesus spoke grace and forgiveness. So if you've ever felt mistreated, you've ever felt like you were taken advantage of, you ever felt like your husband's just not listening to you and it's just really frustrating or you feel like your wife just is always telling you what to do and it's really frustrating, you're angry, and you feel like you're right, you feel like you have the the right to say something back, remember... What Jesus did that when he was hanging on the cross instead of speaking what was right he extended grace he extended forgiveness and that's really the relationship that God wants us to have with one another that's what the righteousness that God desires for us looks like amen so let me pray for you Cedar Rapids I want to pray for you as well Father I just want to thank you we remember the cross Remember what you did on the cross for us. And even though you were right, not just right, you were perfect. Still you stayed silent before your accusers. As you were on that cross, dying, bleeding, your words that the words that you spoke were not words of anger. You had the right to be angry, but you weren't angry. You spoke grace. You spoke forgiveness to us. And Father, right now in this room and in Cedar Rapids right now, in that, in that ballroom in, in the Doubletree Hotel, Father, there are individuals who's, who are separated because of, of discord, because of anger, because of frustration, because of things that were said, or things that were done. God, we're just asking that you bring us to a place of restoration, a righteousness, a righteousness, that is the kind of righteousness you want us to live. Father, sometimes we wanna be right, but Lord, more importantly, help us to be righteous with one another. And just as James encourages us to be, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, help us, Father, in our relationships with our, with our wife, with our husband, with our children, with our parents, with our coworkers. Help us, Father, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In Jesus' name.